The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us. If you're listening live and you have some uh, questions that you want to ask, if you have comments, you can always tweet me. I want to give a big shout out to all of you who are already out there on Twitter sending me information and sending me questions and encouragement. If you want to follow me, Go to at Jill Buck, and that's where you can join the conversation. So as you're listening, if you want to give us a shout-out or ask a question, be sure to do that. Our guest today is John McDonald, and he is with an organization I'm familiar with, only because my husband has a degree in electrical engineering. But we're going to get a lot more familiar with this organization as we go through the show, and that's IEEE. But today we're, we're focusing on energy. We're focusing on Earth Hour. There's a big event coming up um, every year, March 31st. First at 8.30 p.m., we celebrate what's called Earth Hour, and it's a fairly new event, but it's rapidly become a global movement. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, but we're also going to be talking about the larger issue, which is the global energy dilemma that we're in, and how some of the work that John, both through IEEE and through his uh, work with GE's digital energy uh, business unit, um, relate to all the things that you're going to be seeing as the world celebrates Earth Hour. Well, welcome to Go Green Radio, John. I'm so glad that you could be with us. Thank you, Jill. Well, you know, so often when we approach these environmental events like Earth Hour, it's very typical we hear from environmental groups and activists. But frankly, I'm really excited to hear from an engineer because you and your colleagues are the ones who are designing the solutions to some of our most difficult and some of our toughest environmental challenges. And so before we talk about Earth Hour itself and the ramifications of this event, I'd love for you to spend some time talking about IEEE, uh, the role that you play with that organization and how IEEE itself is going to be celebrating Earth Hour. Yeah, I'd be happy to, and, and uh, thanks for the opportunity, uh, Jill, to participate. Um, <clears throat> interesting that your husband is an electrical engineer. My wife, I think, uh, through going to all the IEEE meetings all these years, knows more about IEEE than many of the <laughs> members themselves. <laughs> it's that osmosis uh, thing. <laughs> um, IEEE... You know, it's actually the world's largest professional association, and um, we have over 400,000 members. Um, and it's, you know, it's um, has highly cited publications, conferences, technology standards, a lot of uh, educational activities, and the, you know, it, uh, what, what most people um, do is they not only join IEEE, but they join one or more. Societies or technical councils, and uh, there's 45 different societies and technical councils, and these are specialties within IEEE. 
such mm-hmm. as my specialty is in power and energy. So I, you know, we have a power and energy society, and there's also ten worldwide geographic regions. Let me let me just say, with respect to sustainability, um, IEEE um, is a key member of the Engineering for Change Alliance, Mm -hmm. uh, which which uh, is involved with uh, environmental topics of water, energy, sanitation, agriculture. Uh, The IEEE Committee on Earth Observation publishes a a newsletter called Earth Zine, Z I N E. Uh, it's an online source that includes sustainability coverage around climate, ecosystems, water, and agriculture. And the IEEE Spectrum, which is the, the flagship publication of IEEE, that has regular green technology uh, coverage on earth-friendly themes. Uh, recently, there was one on energy-efficient lighting. And then, uh, as I said, with the societies and councils, many of the societies, uh, such as uh, oceanic engineering, photonics, geoscience and remote sensing and power and energy um, are working in the areas of monitoring and improving the health of the planet. So that's a little bit of, of an overview of IEEE. That's pretty exciting. And, and what's really neat is uh, actually uh, the IEEE USA National Convention asked me to come and be their keynote speaker back in 2008. Uh-huh. And at that time, they knew that I was an English major from the University of Illinois <laughs> years <laughs> ago. Um, but I was talking to them about how no matter really what type of engineering you're part of these days, I mean, you all are the ones we're all looking to for the solutions that we all talk about, we all hope for. But you guys are really on the front lines, and it's thrilling to hear how many um, societies and how many how much focus there is um, within the ranks of all those hundreds of thousands of members of IEEE on sustainability issues. That's the only way uh, that we're going to to get out of some of the situations that we're in now is if we have brilliant engineers developing the technology to do that. And you know, Jill, we we. Um we, I, you know, we as engineers, I think, could do a better job of connecting engineering, you know, to um, the environment and sustainability. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we develop technology, but I, I think we 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 need to reach out and connect. And and uh, you know, in in terms of my own role at IEEE, I've been a, a member for 41 years uh, since I was an electrical engineering student at Purdue University, and. Um, uh, and I've been on the um, in the Power and Energy Society for that long, 41 years. Wow. And um, I've been on the board of directors of IEEE. I've been uh, on the board of the Power and Energy Society for 12 years, and I was the global president in uh, 2006 and seven. But it was during that time of being on the board, you know, um, that um, we used to be called the Power Engineering Society, uh-huh. And we surveyed uh, high or we surveyed students and um, college students and said, you know, with your first job out of the university, what are the three most important things to you with respect to the choice of that job? And you know, Jill, the money they made was number three. Um, really? Yeah, number one was they wanted to have a job that benefited society, mm-hmm. and number two was their job they wanted to improve the environment. Very interesting. So we, um, 
And by the way, the average age of our, our 30,000 members was 50 years old, where the average age of the IEEE member was 42. So hmm. we needed to, to make a change, you know, to, to interest um, the younger generation, the millennials, into joining our society, having it be more sexy, you know, than, than what was originally <laughs> thought, and connecting it more with the environment. Now, so come on, what's sexier than electrical engineering and a whole bunch exactly. of electrical engineers get together? As far as I'm concerned, that's as sexy as it gets. <laughs> you don't well, need we, any we were, we, come we, on. we changed the name to Power and Energy Society, and um, it's, it's really helped us grow membership and, and, and attract uh, a lot of younger engineers. Mm-hmm. And, and how have you seen, in the amount of time that you've been a part of that particular society of IEEE, how have you seen, uh, besides the name, uh, change in terms of focus on exactly what you mentioned, benefiting society, sustainability issues, and uh, environmental protection? What has happened institutionally um, to sort of begin pointing in that direction? Well, yeah, we, we've, um, you know, we we set up an emerging technologies coordinating committee, which we hadn't done before. You know, we, 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 you know, different factions of the society dabbled in it, but we said we need to have more focus on it. So we, we set that up dealing, you know, looking at wind and solar and biomass and, and, um, tidal power, you know, different, different emerging technologies. And then we set up a specific wind power coordinating committee to truly focus on on uh, integrating wind into the grid. So that that was one thing. Another thing we did was um, um, set up courses that um, would teach the basic concepts of of, of our technology to non technical audiences. Hmm. You know, nice. we, we we found that there was a um, well, and there was there was a shift in our industry from the point of view of a lot of the leadership of electric utilities may not be electrical engineers anymore, or or have a specialty in power. True. You know, they may be other disciplines, or they may be lawyers or accountants, or so we needed to to teach the fundamentals of, of power engineering to uh, the industry, and we 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 set up a, a power system basics course that's been very effective in doing that. Fantastic. Now, let's go back to uh, to this idea of Earth Hour. A mm-hmm. lot of it is about energy. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it uh, has to do with uh, personal actions and collective actions that people can take. It's, it's a global event, but it's pretty new. It's only been around since 2007, so some of our listeners might not even be familiar with it at all. If you could give us just a little bit of background about what Earth Hour is, is and what it attempts to accomplish in terms of energy savings, that'd be great. You know, it, it's, it's amazing to me that it's something that started in 07 just in Australia by the World Wildlife Fund. Um, initially, there were 2.2 million individuals and more than 2,000 businesses that participated. And um, so I think based on that success, you know, the next year, right, in 2008, um, the original, uh, the organizers wanted to take Earth Hour for the, to the rest of Australia. But uh, at, at that time, the city of Toronto, Canada, mm-hmm. wanted to participate, right? And then 
very shortly after that, there were 35 countries and 400 cities and towns that participated just the next year. Wow. Um, which shows that, um, you know, there's a com- it, this, this is compelling to not just Australia or Canada, but really to the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2011, um, there were hundreds of millions of people, 135 countries that switched energy off for, for the hour. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing in, in 2011 was not just switching off energy for an hour, but going beyond the hour, you know, mm-hmm. and this is the, the the concept of called beyond the hour. In other words, not just do this for the hour, but have a lasting action on climate change. Use mm-hmm. social networking, um, attract more participation, and truly build, you know, a, a global community that's created or committed to create a more sustainable planet. So this year, um, um, Earth Hours launched the I Will, If You Will, on YouTube, which I, I watched last night, um, to showcase how everyone has the power to change the world we live in um, and use uh, social networking, um, you know, to, to generate more interest. Um, you know what I, I love about that, and I was watching the same YouTube videos, um, is that we've kind of shifted from this, okay, everybody take a pledge to write your congressman to everybody do something yourselves. And I think that's a huge shift in what we're seeing in environmental action from pressuring, just pressuring public policymakers, which there's still a role for that. But we've gone the next step, which is what can each of us do? And I love that. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, much more on Earth Hour and much more on some of the really cool technology coming out to help us save energy. Um, you're not going to want to miss this. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, passion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, our guest today is John McDonald. He's a fellow with IEEE. He's also um, the Director, uh, Technical Strategy and Policy Development for General Electric's Energy Digital Energy Business. And we're talking about Earth Hour at the moment. You know, um, Earth Hour, of course, is a global event. It's growing every year, and it challenges everybody at the at the onset to turn off your lights from 8.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. on March 31st. So that's coming up. Everybody can participate in that. Uh, there are challenges going on that extend beyond the hour, uh, encouraging people to do their part to protect the environment. But I'm wondering, just from an energy standpoint, do you have any idea, John, what the actual energy impact of Earth Hour is? Um, you know, I've um, yeah, we we don't really uh, have um, you know me- measurement of that, truthfully. Um, and what what I what I see though is is the impact, not so much in terms of measuring, you know, how many. Tons of CO2 are we eliminating from the environment or things like that? But it's um, it's really the inspiration of yeah. globally, you know, of having other of, of people in other countries to practice that same energy conservation. Mm-hmm. Well, and th- there's no doubt that just the public awareness campaign that's associated with it is has got to get at least people interested, if not really motivated to make some significant behavior change, changes. Um, you know, last week I was talking with some high school students here in America about reducing the amount of electricity they use. And we were kind of talking about it in the context of a social justice discussion that we were having, um, you know, in terms of uh, you know, looking at the world and how some people don't even have electricity and yet we'll sit and with, you know, every light in the house on and four TVs on and, you know, use a lot of electricity. And one of the teenagers said to me, how does it help people in other countries if I spend less time with the TV on or my computer on? It's not like we can ship electrons from my city to Africa. Uh, I had my own answer for him, but I'm curious, John, to know how you would have answered that question. That's that's a really good question, and because you know the the um, you know the high school student, if, uh, if you know if you travel at all internationally, you can see the impact that what P 
people in one country do have an impact on what people do in other countries. So really, you know, by reducing the amount of electricity that we would use in our country, the, what the important thing is, is, as we said just a minute ago, it's setting an example that other countries can learn from and practice themselves. And there's a lot of concrete examples of how Earth Hour in 2007 and 2008 in Australia has affected, you know, from South Africa to um, Fiji to, um, you know, London, the U.K., to Singapore, to Nepal. I mean, you know, it, I was amazed at, at the efforts that are going on in, in countries all over the world just from the influence of what, what was started in Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what I told the high school student who asked me that. I said, look, you know, the electrons that you're using are fueled by something, whether it's coal or oil or gas. There's something that is combusted or burned to create steam that turns turbines that creates electrons. I mean, there's a fuel for your electricity. That's where it all starts. And not all of the fuel that we use in America comes from America to make our electricity. So the more that we use of these fuels to make electricity that we bring from other parts of the world, the less of that fuel there is for other countries. And by the way, because we are a fairly affluent country, we can afford to pay a lot more. So if there's a choice between selling that fuel to an impoverished nation in Africa for a small amount or selling it to America who can pay 10 times more, well, people are going to sell their fuel to, for the, you know, to the highest bidder. So our, our impact is greater than just, you know, something simple like, well, if I turn off the TV, my electrons can be donated to Africa. That's not how it works. I tried to explain to him kind of that connection. And, uh, you know, as a a country, too, energy security is so important that, uh, as you said, with fuels, you know, we we as a country depend on receiving fuel from other countries. uh Right? So when when OPEC decides to raise the price, let's say, that that greatly affects us. The more independence that we have as a country on fuel... Right, the more we can control price and and and, and uh, supply and things like that. So the more we can mm-hmm. conserve, right, the less fuel that we would need, and the more independent we can become. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, and I want to talk about some of the ways that we can do that. You know, so much of the headlines these days regarding energy issues really focus heavily on the generation side. You know, can we put in more solar? Can we put in more wind, build more coal plants, etc.? And there's also a lot of emphasis being placed on conservation, which is, you know, as it should be, like with Earth Hour events, you know, use less. But if we were to improve the efficiency of our electricity transmission. I'm wondering how much more electricity we would be getting from our existing generation capacity. In other words, how much energy are we losing between the power plant and the light switch in this country? And are there some technological advances coming online to address energy efficiency? You know, there, there are, and, and this is in addition to, um, as you said, uh, generation side, there's a lot we can do <clears throat> downstream of, of the generation. But if, if we look at um, the losses, you know, average losses in the United States, for instance, um, in 1997, you know, the average for transmission and distribution combined was about 6.6%. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2007, about 6.5%. And that's, you know, the difference between what we produce and, and actually what we, what we use, mm-hmm. uh, what we sell to the end customers. 
Um, and that's, you know, that, that's, that's actually pretty good when we look across, across the world. And a, mm-hmm. an example would be in the 42 countries of Latin America, and by the way, the losses I just mentioned, 6.5%, are technical losses. So that's mm-hmm. in transmitting energy from the power plant. There's necessarily going to be losses, you know, on the transmission lines and the distribution mm-hmm. system until it gets to the customer. We don't, we don't have a lot of what we call non-technical losses or commercial losses, which an example of that would be theft of electricity. Uh-huh. But, for instance, in Latin America, in the 42 countries, their average non-technical or commercial losses are 16%. Wow. And that's, so that's is a, that just like people tapping into the lines exactly. without paying for it? Yes. Wow. So that, uh-huh. that's a driver for the, these 42 countries looking at, and we'll talk about this a little later, is smart metering, uh-huh. getting a better idea you know, of, what, of tampering and uh-huh. what's, what's happening on the system. But we have, um, we have technologies today that, that we're implementing. We can uh, control the voltage on the distribution system to uh, reduce load. We can control the reactive power mm-hmm. on the distribution system, which minimizes losses. And these are technologies that we have today. And, in fact, um, a number of market researchers have said that in the next two to three years, the predominant spending in, in smart grid or adding intelligence to the utility system is shifting uh, from smart metering to just what we talked about, to the distribution system and improving the efficiency of the distribution system. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, if if we're producing all this megawattage, uh, you know, at a power plant, but we're not getting that same amount of energy actually to the end users, I mean, if we if we become more efficient um, on both the distribution and and the end user side, we're going to you know really get the most bang for our buck, if if you will. Um, and I'm wondering, is there any public policy that you feel like is needed in order to enhance this effort, or is this perfectly fine being run by the by the market? Well, I mean, policy is is the most effective driver, you know, for for change. Um, mm-hmm. And and there is um, policy that's needed for. Uh, for both, actually, the we, energy efficiency, we can look at, at two parts. One is what, what I just talked about on the distribution system, which is uh, upstream of the customer, you know, on on the grid, and the other part of it is at the consumer, right? right. For better insulating your home, do um, using smart appliances, using using lighting, like complex fluorescent lights, that use, I think, you know, two thirds less energy and last six to ten times longer than incandescent lights. So um, it really policy, truthfully, would, would accelerate, not only drive, but accelerate energy efficiency on both the grid side as well as the consumer side. 
Mm-hmm. Speaking of the consumer side, a lot of Americans' first introduction to what we call the smart grid has been the installation of residential smart meters. And in some places that's gone smoothly, and in some places it has not, um, due to a number of different factors. Talk about the role that smart meters play in the smart grid, and if possible, address some of the fears or uh, hesitancy that the public has expressed about having this type of monitoring device in their home. A smart meter, by smart, we're meaning that it has microprocessor-based, you know, so it has internal calculations that it can do, as opposed to, or contrast with the electromechanical meters that had the dial that spun, mm-hmm. and that was a mechanical means to, to measure electricity. So a smart meter has, you know, a lot more capability, and when we couple that with two-way communications, um, it sends the, the information on your usage to the utility, without the need for someone in a truck, you know, to come out and right. walk the neighborhood and read the meter. So it, um, j- just that, Jill, uh, it, it helps the environment because the less truck rolls that True. we have, you know, the less CO2 that we're putting into the environment. True. Um, but also this, the information in the meter, we, we can provide energy usage information to the consumer. And that's important because if, if the, when the consumer sees visually the amount of energy they're using, your, your tendency is to do a better job, one, wanting to do a better job of managing that energy use and, mm-hmm. and conserving. But also smart meters detect tampering, and they also help reduce uh, non-technical losses because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, they, they, they also uh, help us with home energy management by... Um, being able to communicate the energy usage information to within the home as well as uh, in, in areas where we have dynamic pricing, the electric utility is sending each of the consumers what the price of electricity is on a mm-hmm. real-time basis. Mm-hmm. So as, as the utility gets into more of a peak load condition, the right. price of electricity will go up. And we can... Um, where we have dynamic pricing, the home energy management system can be programmed by the homeowner to say if the, if the price of electricity is above a certain level, I do not want to run my electric clothes dryer. That's right. And I've been doing laundry at off-peak hours for years, and I'm hoping that one of these days it'll uh, it'll really pay off. Well, we've got to take a quick, quick commercial break. But on the other side of that, we've got much more. We're going to learn about other components of the smart grid and some other things going on in the energy uh, sector that I think you're really going to love. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be joining us, our guest today is John McDonald. He is a fellow with an organization called IEEE. They're an international organization of electrical engineers, and they do some amazing work within their organization, and they're doing more and more uh, to bring some of the great information and training that, that they have to share to those of us in the non-technical world so that we can understand some of the new technology that they're working on and be part of a variety of uh, systems within our society that, you know, really do begin with their inventions and their technology breakthroughs, but uh, filter down to the rest of us in a number of different ways. Uh, John is also with the General Electric Digital Energy Business Unit, and, and he's got a lot to tell us about what's going on with the smart grid and some of the things we have to look forward to um, in America and around the world in terms of, of greater energy efficiency. You know, before we went to break, we were talking about smart meters and how uh, they play a critical role in in developing the smart grid here in the U.S., but um, one of the things that I remember so distinctly about the rollout of smart meters in my service area here in the San Francisco Bay Area was that there was quite a bit of public backlash. Not everybody was excited to have a smart meter monitoring the energy use in their home, and I'd like for you to address some of that public backlash and um, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that, John. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what, what we found um, is that, um, you know, there, there's no replacement for spending time with, with customers with respect to education and communications so that any any new technology, you know, that's going to be deployed, um, whether it's uh, town hall meetings or whether it's even... Um, individual, you know, communication with each customer. It's really important that the customer is is told by the utility, you know, what what is this new technology? What are the benefits that uh, they will receive? And um, the fact that changing from electromechanical to uh, smart meter doesn't increase, you know, your bill. It's it's a different way to measure the amount of electricity that you use. That's all. But it also can provide a lot of additional services to you 
which can um, you know which you can use to actually lower your electric bill because you you'll have information that you can manage your own energy use without compromising your own lifestyle. So I think mm-hmm. that that that's what utilities now after um, you know the in, the uh, experience in, in California and uh, some of the experiences in Texas have learned from. And with respect to um, you know the other um, concern that comes up is radio frequency emissions, mm-hmm. and um, um, so you know there's been independent testing done on smart meters. In fact, um, the Electric Power Research Institute or EPRI uh, here in the United States did some extensive testing um, to show that the radio frequency emissions of, of a smart meter fall well below that of the federal safety thresholds. Mm-hmm. Um, so they used a particular supplier's meter, did a number of, of tests, and we have to remember that meters are not on continuously either. They, they transmit data in quick bursts just several times an hour, averaging about maybe a minute and a half of transmission time per hour. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, what we showed, or what EPRI showed, was... Um, because they transmit for only a small fraction of the day, the uh, radio frequency level and actual usage would be less than 1% of the FCC or the Federal uh, Communications Commission limit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's comforting, I'm sure, to, to many. I, you know, there's just been... Uh, a lot of public distrust of some of these, you know, studies that, that come out and, and I think that it just is going to take some time and like you said, a lot of public outreach and education to get people over the threshold of, of comfort with this, but it's happening, I think. I'm really interested in something that I, I read, um, in some of your IEEE information and that's this notion of forecasting energy consumption. And I'm wondering, that's just a concept I'm unfamiliar with. How, how can that be done? How can we forecast energy consumption and what are the benefits to better forecasting in terms of bringing our energy consumption down overall or, or creating more efficiency in our system? Talk to us about that. Yeah, energy energy consumption um, has been difficult to, to forecast accurately because um, we, um, you know, with electromechanical meters and manual meter reads once you know once a month or even maybe twice a month, it's been difficult to get um, you know accurate enough information um, to be able to take um, individual customers roll those up. And aggregate those, say, at the secondary of, of the distribution transformer, and then along the distribution line to really know what, what the loading is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the advantage of having smart meters is it will have a much more accurate and more uh, frequent indication of what, of what the load is and have a much better, um, you know, idea of what, of what the of what the usage is, and this this provides benefits in a number of ways. Um, the planning engineers for the electric utilities, you know, can do a better job of knowing exactly um, the distribution lines that, that come to our home, exactly what what that loading is, and um, can do a better job of of um, making the system more efficient. If because any any inaccuracy or any 
when, when you don't know exactly what's happening, you tend to over-design and put a little bit of buffer in there to be mm-hmm. safe, mm-hmm. which is which is normal. And um, the one thing that we're, we want to do with smart meters and actually putting more sensors and having more information available on the on the entire electric grid, the more real-time information that we have, the better job we can do of squeezing more capacity out of the existing infrastructure mm-hmm. and managing the existing infrastructure in a much more efficient way. Um, and mm-hmm. so smart meters are part of that. And um, so it gives us two, two advantages. One is managing in real time, uh, but the other one is knowing then how to having having a, a lot of good information so we can f- have a better forecast and um, know then like growth rates, um, expansions to, to the existing infrastructure, construction that needs to be done, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. You know, this is my kitchen table logic, but it kind of reminds me of how either in a home or in a restaurant you plan for how much produce and, and meat to buy for the week. You know, I mean, when I'm planning my menu and I know, uh, you know, a couple of my family members aren't going to be at dinner this night, I mean, I'm going to buy less for that night, plan my menu. Restaurants do the same thing. That's why they take reservations, you know, so that they know, uh, you know, that these things that don't last forever, like meat, produce, that kind of stuff, they have the right amount at the right time for their usage. Um, you know, without a lot of energy storage capacity um, in our grid, uh, you know, that's it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you can't just put all these electrons in a big bowl like you can like a water tower and and save the water for later use it when you need it i mean electricity and electrons are constantly moving so being able to know what you need uh, at certain times every day on certain days of the week is is really critical it's almost like a perishable good (laughs) it's what it kind of reminds me of um let's talk about energy storage for a minute because um this is something that i've been reading a lot about and it seems to me that um it's a piece of our energy infrastructure that's lagging um, that actually could help us make better use of uh, renewable energy uh, sources like wind, like solar. Um, Talk to us about the role that energy storage could play in improving our, um, you know, our our energy system here in America. Well, you you mentioned one, Joe, with renewables. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing with renewable energy, whether it's um, wind or solar, let's say, it's um, it's variable generation, right? So the output is variable, very different from um, the generation, the baseload generation we use today of coal and nuclear and hydro, right? Where where once we raise a unit to a certain level, we can pretty much stay at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, wind, we we just can't predict very very accurately, or solar. So the problem is is um, our load is constant. I mean, our load is there. It's 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 fluctuating every second, but it's there, and the generation can go up and down. So, you know, we we need something to um, smooth out and absorb the variable output of the renewable generation, and energy storage can, can do that for us. Um, you know, there, when we look at energy storage and we look at the the needs on the grid. Um, we have to look at different time frames. For instance, with renewables, it could be fairly fast, right? Is 
as the wind drops off, we need energy stores to pick that up quickly. In other cases, we uh, utilities using energy storage in a longer term time frame. Mm-hmm. Like instead of uh, building a new substation for growth or expanding an existing substation, some utilities have used energy storage near that or at that substation to handle the existing or the greater load that they have and, and, a, and defer, you know, construction mm-hmm. of either a new substation or adding to a substation. So that's another use of energy storage. Um, there's no, no single storage technology, though, that fits every application. Mm-hmm. And the technologies have different capabilities. So that's, I would say, um, if the, you know, the one challenge here from a research point of view is the, the different technologies like lithium ion, sodium sulfide, and, and the, the things like the speed of response, the durability of, of cycling, mm-hmm. the energy stores, the duration, uh, the, the transportability of the uh, energy storage, and the scalability to be able to take it from maybe a small application to a much bigger application on the grid. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work going, done now, going on now with energy storage. Well, I hope so. I mean, when you see something like what we saw this past month with wind farms in the Pacific Northwest that were built largely with government subsidies, i.e. taxpayer dollars, that were consequently paid not to operate or paid for energy that wasn't used because at that time the utility they were hooked up to were glutted, you know, they were glutted with all this, you know, spring rain and hydropower. Um, and the wind turbines were, you know, the wind was blowing, they were whirring away, but all that energy was wasted. Um, and that, wow, that just blows my mind that we've, we take public money, build wind turbines, and then when we can't use their power, we spend more taxpayer dollars to keep them going when, you know, if we had some way to store that energy for later, none of that energy had to be wasted. So I'm hoping that we'll see some real breakthroughs in the next few years with energy storage so we get everything that we're supposed to in terms of ROI out of those subsidized renewable energy you know, uh, generation points. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there'll be much more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're talking energy today. One of the most important topics that we could talk about, even though a lot of us take it for granted. We turn on the light switch and boom, the lights go on. We have energy. Um, the fact is there's a lot going on behind the scenes to ensure that we're able to do that. Um, we have Earth Hour coming up that will help remind us all of the impact that we can have. Um, Earth Hour is March 31st from 8.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. The challenge worldwide is to turn your lights off for one hour and and so we're, we're encouraging everyone to celebrate Earth Hour in their own way and maybe to go beyond the hour. Think of some ways that you can minimize your impact on the environment and on planet Earth, not just by conserving energy, but maybe by conserving water, uh, generating less solid waste or recycling uh, as much as you can. There's so many ways that we can take personal actions and not just celebrate Earth Hour, but celebrate uh, Earth Day every day, if you will. Uh, our guest is John McDonald today. We were talking a little bit about energy storage and how that can help to maximize the capacity that we're putting in, particularly with renewable energy like wind and solar, which, um, you know, the, the sun doesn't shine all the time, wind doesn't blow all the time. How can we make sure that we're using all of that uh, energy, energy that's being uh, generated by those technologies through some energy storage? You know, I'm just wondering, John, in your opinion. Do you think that American public policy on energy management suffers from kind of a lack of systems thinking? I mean, we're putting in all this renewable generation, but not putting in the requisite amount of energy storage capacity at the same time to maximize its use. Do we suffer from a lack of systems thinking when it comes to public policy? You know, Joe, I think uh, this is probably one of the biggest challenges that we have. Truthfully, this it's, it's, it's huge. Um, and, and it, it's um, there's a couple aspects of this. You know, one is that um, from a technology point of view, for many many years we've focused on what we say is devices and systems. And I'm gonna when you mention systems thinking, I'm gonna change that a little bit to solutions thinking. All right. Use the word solution <laughs> instead of system, because we technology wise we've been producing uh, devices and systems for many years. With what we're doing now, we need to focus on solutions, and that's cutting across, you know, um, like you said, the different aspects of technology, bringing them together into a solution. It's mm-hmm. an integrated set of technologies that meets the business needs, right, whatever whatever those needs are of, of the customer. And um, policy uh, has has been focused on products, systems, as opposed to solutions. So I think... There's, there's a couple things we need to do, you know, policy, looking at solutions. Also, um, supplier companies as well as utility organizations need to look across the organizations, break down the barriers or the silos, you know, of the different groups and have a holistic approach to mm-hmm. energy efficiency and smart grid across the whole organization with one homogeneous strategy, you know, that's, that cuts across, and it's not individual strategies 
for each of the groups. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not just the natural gas folks doing their thing and the nuclear power folks doing their thing, and uh, you know, and and ultimately somebody's figuring out if we're meeting the demand, but rather breaking down those business units to the extent that that they're collaborating towards one one larger goal. And the benefit, you know, to us by doing that is that. Um from a technology point of view, we make one investment in, in technology, and if we look broader, more than just the group we work in, but the organization as a whole, we'll find that the benefits of our investment, you know, will help not only our group but probably other groups. Mm-hmm. So the business case becomes stronger; it's more uh, effective, you know, the investment by for the organization, and. Um, it's just um, the holistic approach actually is, is, in the long run, you can get more functionality and more results with uh, effectively less of an investment up front. This makes perfect sense to me, but what do I know? <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, it's amazing that we would do business any other way. You know, in addition to being a fellow for IEEE, you're also, as I mentioned earlier, the director of uh, technical strategy and policy development for GE's energy, um, digital energy group. And I'm just wondering what some of the things are that you are doing there. What's GE doing to address some of these smart grid issues? Um, talk to us about some of the solutions that you're working on through GE Digital Energy. So, yeah, th- th- as I mentioned with solutions, um, well, my, my role has um, has three parts to it, my, my, my job responsibilities. One is technical strategy, and it's, it's looking across digital energy. So it's really looking across the four business units that we have and, and bringing them together from a point of view of solutions. Uh, second is industry standards. Um, when we talk about solutions, you know, these are made up of an integrated set of components, and the only way that they will successfully work together is if they comply to the same standard and they've been tested for interoperability, that they'll be able to work together. And um, uh, in the United States, uh, there was legislation in 2007 that made NIST, which is part of the Department of Commerce, the overall coordinator for smart grid standards. And in 2009, NIST set up a governing board uh, to help get that work done and uh, I got elected to the board in late '09, and the board elected me to chair the board. So I've, wow. um, for the last three years, I've chaired for the United States the Smart Grid Standards work, and we now have 1,900 people and uh, over 750 companies. Wow! Together, so this is a, a volunteer position that uh, is is a, f- a phenomenal experience for all of us in working together, and we've just. The, emphasize international outreach, and we have collaboration agreements right now with Korea, the 27 countries of the European Union, just last week, Japan. So the idea is, you know, we need to harmonize the standards that we use in the United States with other countries. And it'd be ideally have a, you know, a set of international standards that we all use. And then third is policy. Policy is extremely important. And, uh, I think, you know, the success of what we talked about, Jill, is really, I characterize it as a three-legged stool, where if any of those legs is missing, the stool is unstable and will topple mm-hmm. over. It's technology, standards, and policy. Because mm-hmm. I can have two of the three, 
but I won't be successful unless I have all three. And so I have basically all three in my, my job responsibility. So we three years ago, we spent uh, some time looking at the business drivers of customers, and we, um, we have six solutions that are driven by the business needs of electric utilities that we um, have developed, you know, and are, are um, uh, providing to the marketplace. Uh, and it's six, six different areas of the electric grid. You know what I'd love to see, John, and this is just my, you know, advocacy for environmental education coming out, but I would love to see some way of presenting this information to, I'm thinking high school and university students, but maybe even lower grades than that, uh, so that kids can see what's going on and make it really visible to them. I mean, um, you know, right now my organization, the Go Green Initiative, is running an Earth Day contest that's challenging students to look at their energy systems in their communities and to make some determinations about how sustainable that is. I'd love to see some of the work that you're doing um, exposed, you know, for kids to see and get excited about and maybe even choose a career in um, power. And so maybe that's something we can talk about offline. But boy, this is this is really exciting stuff, very 21st century uh, kind of stuff. And I can't imagine that kids wouldn't really respond to seeing all the cool technology uh, that's going into this, especially on a global scale. I'm sorry to say we're just about out of time, and it's been great having you on the show, John. Um, I hope that everybody who's listening will observe Earth Hour in your own way. Again, that's March 31st, 8.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Turn off your lights just for one hour and think about things that you can do to go beyond that hour. It was great having you on, John. Thank you for being on. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 